We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. We're talking projections, the good, the bad, and the indifferent on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Hey, everyone. Welcome on into Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by FFBCast and the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. What's going on, Matt? Uh, oh, I forgot to introduce no. you. I'm joined by the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Mr. Matthew Friedman. What's up, Matt? Uh, I'm good. Just still here in New Hampshire. Um, just, you know, recording in a suboptimal setup. So uh, if anything is wrong with the show, that's what it is. It's entirely to uh, to blame on the setup. Okay, yeah, I, I think that we can accept that as a very reasonable uh, explanation for anything that goes wrong. Before we start talking about projections, I have a question for you. Yeah. If you were to take a road trip, you have to take a road trip from where you are currently in New Hampshire all the way to California. You have to hit at least 30 states. Which is the one NFL head coach that you would want to go on this trip with? Hmm. Uh, can I ask first before I answer the question, can I ask what made you think of this question? Nothing in specific. I just felt like kind of having an icebreaker question tonight on, on tonight's episode. And it, it seemed like an interesting one to me. Okay. I often think about this, like when I get in an elevator, I always think like, you know, if I'm stuck in this elevator, what am I possibly going to talk with these people about? And then it kind of framed this, like, you know, yeah. take it, extrapolate it a step further. What, do, what would you do on the road trip? So I, this is a common question I ask people. I just pick whatever they're interested in. Yeah. So this is, it's interesting. The elevator thing kind of makes me think. So like on the one hand, uh, I would want Bill Belichick. Um, yep. Not because I think he would actually impart all of his football wisdom to me. But I think he would have the best roadmap for wherever we are going. And I think he would be 100% fine with sitting there in total silence the entire <laughs> ride. And uh, I think that would be almost enjoyable. Um, I would also think maybe about Jason Garrett because I think he's enough of a pushover to where I can make him drive 
the entire trip. And I wouldn't have to take any of the burden of driving. Um, and I think I could uh, talk to him about everything that he does wrong. Uh, not that okay. I think there would even be any like uh, benefit to the Cowboys or that he would listen to what I had to say. It would just be like the grieving of errances, um, you know, sort of like Festivus, where I just get to unload on him for uh, everything that he's done wrong to me as a Cowboys fan for, uh, you know, the past 12 years at this point since 2007. <laughs> um, and then but thinking outside the box. Uh, yep. I would maybe want Sean McVay because mm. I think he would think outside the box and decide that, uh, no, why would we drive across the country when we could just book a private jet and fly to wherever we want? So <laughs> I think ultimately I would go with him. All right. I think that's a that's a solid answer. I pondered this a lot. The two names that kind of came to mind for me first were Belichick and uh, Pete Carroll. Uh, as I just feel like Carol might be, you know, like some zany antics from him going on. But then I decided oh. on Matt Patricia because I want to discover and I would try to the entire ride to try uh, to pry out of Tr- Patricia why Malcolm Butler did not play in the Super Bowl. That's interesting. Against, yeah. Against the Eagles. I think um, I think Pete Carroll would be the worst. I think he'd be <laughs> the last person I would want to road trip with. Yeah. Yeah, he would just be telling all these old man stories the whole time, and the, uh, I just I don't think I could handle it. I considered Andy Reid too, but I just picture him farting the entire trip in the car, just being stinky. So I passed on him. Yeah, maybe I think Reid would actually be pretty cool, even yeah. farts and all. <laughs> yeah. All right. So with that behind us, um, I have finished my set of projections so i wanted to take an episode where we kind of just go back and forth on some players now that we have each gone through all of our projections and uh kind of see where perhaps we align or we don't align and i know we talked about this on the show last year but i feel it uh an obligation for me to kind of a mention how we go about doing projections at rotoviz and then also some of the pitfalls with them because i think that too often even though I spend a lot of time making these and I think that it's a very important process, there are some pitfalls that can be avoided, especially by players that have not gone through the process or haven't considered how you should actually use them in context. So real high level, what we do and how we've always done projections at Rotoviz, and I think probably a pretty common way to do it if you're trying to do it in a way that makes sense logically is you first start off by building out team level assumptions And then you work your way down to the player level and then to the specific kind of efficiency metrics. So how we do it is we start off by considering how many plays a team is likely to run. And I will spend some time looking through the last five to seven seasons determining, you know, what the 25th percentile is for total plays 75th and then looking at how those correspond with wins now uh more often than not you see teams with stronger records running more plays and you also teams that have better records in some cases able to be more balanced but you know they're also running more running plays and more passing plays than most teams where teams that struggle have to pass more run less and they generally have fewer plays. And then I'll also look at team total touchdowns from the last number of years and try to get a sense of how many points a team can realistically score, how many plays they're going to run. You then allocate between those total plays the percentage of passes, percentage of rushes. Then you can start saying Antonio Brown is the wide receiver one on the Raiders how many or what percentage of passing attempts do I expect him to control? And then from there, you build in the efficiency. And how I go about that is I look at the players' past history to try to develop a baseline. I consider where they are in their career. I might look at some projections that we do where we look at a player stat line from his most recent season, find comparable players, see what those players did in the subsequent season to try to work out that efficiency. And then from having done this for so long now, I have a pretty good idea of what a extraordinary or an extraordinary, extraordinarily efficient season would look like for maybe uh, yards per reception or different things like that, or yards per carry. And then you build in these efficiency assumptions for a player trying not to be too radical in any one of those metrics and then 
you aggregate this across the team, roll that up into the quarterback, and then you have each player. That's a high-level explanation. Anything to add on that, Matt? Yeah, I actually want to maybe dig into uh, the methodology a little bit. So you are starting more with the wide receivers and not with the quarterback. Is that correct? Yeah, because, well, um, I would say that there's a couple of things that will control to some degree the output that the quarterback can have. Um, For example, we know that depth of target, um, that belongs to the receiver. Um, So to me, you want to start by building in those things for each specific wide receiver instead of trying to say like, uh, you know, Drew Brees is going to complete whatever percentage of passes, throw this many touchdowns, and then working backwards to allocating to those receivers at the site how we've done in the past and how I do it is by working on the running backs, tight ends, wide receivers in specific, and then rolling that up to the quarterback. And uh, one other thing that I do that might be a little bit different than others is I start um, with only looking at receptions for efficiency metrics. Like I know some people will look at quarterback touchdown percentages and whatnot by looking at um, total uh, or looking at the quarterback's attempts and then dividing that by touchdowns. But I've always argued that it has to be a reception first, so you should only look at completed passes and things like that. I might be going off on a tangent now, but does that kind of address what you were saying? Yeah, I mean, so basically you're looking at I, – I guess actually here's a another way of kind of framing the question. Yep. Um, you're looking at all of the kind of individual connections. So let's say you're thinking about Michael Thomas and the Saints – Yep. Uh, you're specifically thinking of Michael Thomas and the connection with Drew Brees, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And then kind of building from there. Um, so I guess maybe a, a question would be to, to think about this a little bit more. Um, projecting a team like the Redskins or like the Giants, where yep. there's uh, significant uncertainty about what's happening with their quarterback position. And uh, let's just say – you know, we have no idea really what's going to happen, but let's say like Eli Manning plays eight games and Daniel Jones plays eight games. Yep. Uh, are you kind of baking that assumption into the receiving efficiency projections or even just the, the uh, target and reception projections that you would have for a player like Golden Tate? Yeah, I'm. so I'm definitely doing that. Um I might not calculate it out like, you know, dividing up a certain amount of games, sure. but, you know, like going like maybe like roughly 50-50. The thing that I often do find, though, is in a situation where it's like um, unclear who the quarterback is going to be, it's generally because they're, you know, not the best quarterbacks to right. begin with. Yeah. Um. So like your end result is going to be somewhat it's be similar. pretty similar. Yeah. Pretty similar. But I mean, there are cases every once in a while where like a uh, perfect example would be last season... Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield, I did try to work in the fact that Taylor might be rushing more and how that might impact receivers and different things like that. But, um, you know, you end up with a somewhat similar approach, but yeah, like you framed it in a good way by saying the connections. So it's not, um, like you would just say, all right, like they're going to have crappy quarterback play. So it's probably going to look like, look like this for the receiver. If there's two quarterbacks of different styles, I will account for that. Yeah. So it's not as if you're thinking of the receivers in a vacuum, like, Hey, this, uh, this receiver has averaged X yards uh, per reception for his career. You're thinking of it a little bit more as in this receiver has managed X yards with this quarterback. Right, exactly. So uh, like Tyrell Williams, who we'll talk about a little bit later when I was going through and looking through his numbers from the past and whatnot, I had to incorporate into how I'm looking at it. All right, he's not playing with Phil Rivers anymore. He's playing with Derek Carr. What feels like the likely impact of that switch? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing yep. that's interesting, I'd, I'd like your your thoughts on this. So you mentioned that uh, you were looking at it from my, uh, mainly a market share perspective. And I think like that's the like, quote unquote, right way to do it and kind yep. of like the standard way to do it. But also like there are some times where I'm thinking like, regardless of however many plays this team runs, like this receiver has a pretty hard uh, floor in terms yeah. of the number of targets he's going to get. 
You know what I mean? So like there's maybe room for some upside, but like at a minimum, this guy's going to see like 110 or 120 targets. And that's something that kind of steps outside of market share. Yeah. So I think that's probably one of those things where um, after I get all of my baseline assumptions set and I go through and I make my first pass through everything, I'll go back and then I'll look and I'll say, all right, like from a historical perspective, how much of an outlier would this season be? How radical of a change from last season is there? And you know, you'll have a player every once in a while where you're like, okay, like that number just doesn't make sense. Like, you know, it, it, especially if it's like a Julio Jones and you ended up with 120 targets and you think about it, like in what's, how many scenarios are the Falcons really going to get him 120 targets? Even if they pass less, they're going to want to try to get that number up because he's one of their best players and good things happen when they use him. So th- there's definitely a correction process like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Sorry. Keep yeah. going. Oh no, I th- that, that's basically what I was going to say. You know, I think a lot of it, um, I'm kind of, well, when you're considering the different players on the team and how they all interlock, you know, like uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going through and doing it. Like in the back of my mind, I'm kind of thinking that through as I'm even setting like the initial numbers. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, that's interesting. And, and for me, there's kind of like this calibration process at the end Mm -hmm. where, uh, I just, I kind of have to make sure obviously that like numbers, (laughs) numbers match up and that even like I'm accounting for like the things that, um, that you can't really account for in a total known way in advance, you know, like you can't always say like, okay, um, this tight end two and tight end three are going to get X number of targets and wide receiver five is going to get X number of targets, but you can kind of say in advance, like, okay, it is likely that everyone outside of the core group of players on this team is still likely to get 20 to 50 targets. You know, right. you just kind of have to like figure out where in that realm that number is. Yeah, and it's also important too because if you try to cut corners by maybe only doing three or so of the team's receivers, one or two tight ends and then maybe two running backs and giving them all of the market share of the passing numbers, um, you'd be okay if you're doing that for every team, I guess, because it's somewhat consistent. But the thing is, if a team does really have 75 targets going away from their like quote unquote better players, that's going to impact that quarterback's passing numbers. Yeah. Um. So you know you might have an inconsistency because you could have a team where they all have receivers that maybe you're projecting for great um yardage on a reception basis. Uh, and you, if you carry that through across all of the hundred targets that should have gone to players that aren't quite as good, then you're going to skew your results. Yeah. Like I think that's, that's interesting. So if you, yeah, if you had the same sort of flawed methodology for all the teams, maybe it would kind of even out if you're just yep. thinking on like, a I don't know, like a relative and like ranking basis. But if you were trying to use projections to do uh player props, you would be screwed. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> And, um, you know, I think the the other problem with that, too, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of problems because you want to try to get it as, you know, as close as you can. And the other thing that I like to do when I'm working through the projections, not like I just put down Julio Jones, 27 percent of Atlanta's attempts. I'll look at if Julio doesn't get to 27, you know, where would that pickup be? How does that impact him? Like in how many scenarios can I see that happening? And I think that's one of the the best things that you can do if you're actually going through and doing projections is exploring how things can change, thinking about how realistic of a change it might be and then seeing what the impact is. To me, that's really, really where the value comes from. And then what I'm going to present on the site is what feels like a representation of the most common scenario that I end up at. And the one that feels to me, if we played out the season a hundred times, would happen the most. Yeah, I think that's fair. And that seems like the right way to do it. Yeah. And then I guess the other piece, which I kind of mentioned too, is a lot of this is also looking at and saying like, um, a player that's a team's wide receiver one, what are the benchmarks for what that player can do? And then making sure, you know, if you're looking at team or or you're looking at a wide receiver, that's like the wide receiver three on a team or the running back three or whatnot, that, you know, you're not projecting them for efficiency numbers or certain things that would be very much out of historical outcomes. Um, But the pitfalls though, that I want to get to are, when if you start to do projections, you invest too much into them and you're focusing maybe on just that one um, 
really positive number that you have for a player or if there's a player that you really like and you get him to 300 points and there's a player that you don't like who you put at 250 thinking to yourself that there's certainly that 50 point difference when in reality you need to consider that you could be biased one way or another um in that you know, what you have is not gospel. The other thing is when you're doing projections, you're going to be wrong a lot simply because there's so many variables that go into building these projections and things that would be really hard to control for, such as an injury, uh, on the offensive line, for example, could impact the quarterback. And then the trickle down of that would go out to the pass catchers on the team. And there's a lot of things like that. And the other thing is, If you try to do too much of just playing the averages when you do these projections, I find that you end up with more or less every team's wide receiver one being analogous, every team's running back twos being analogous, and then you lose a lot of context because they're all sandwiched together. And my final thing that I think can be dangerous is if you look at a set of projections and you see Matt Ryan projected for 15 more points than Phillip Rivers, in the context of projections, those are like really similar. So it'd be dangerous to say like, oh, like, you know, I can certainly go for Matt Ryan significantly higher than I would Philip Rivers. So you just have to be careful when you're using this, you know, these estimates, if you will. Yeah. I mean, they are basically, I mean, in theory, at least they should be probably median projections, like what you would think of as like the median outcome. Um, But that doesn't take into account the range of potential outcomes that also doesn't take into account draft cost um, or uh, any of the other kind of like roster construction issues with a fantasy team or with a real team. Um, So for instance, there could be two backups who have similar projections right now, but if the starter gets injured on one team, that guy will be an immediate fantasy starter. Whereas if the starter gets injured on the other team, that guy will basically have the same role that he has right now. So you have to think of all of this within the range of possible outcomes. Yeah, exactly. And that's one reason why um, I do think, like I said earlier, that's the most enlightening aspect for me. So, you know, if Todd Gurley can only play in six games, well, we know that Henderson's not going to get all of the attempts that would have gone to Gurley, maybe they'll mix in a couple of the other running backs. And you see, you know, with that split, if he were to get 80% of the carries that would have gone to Gurley, what would that look like? But if he, you know, if you think that's possible, it gets down to as low as 50, what would that look like? And I think that's really where the value comes from, um, is just kind of like exploring those situations. Yep. All right. Um, so before we move on, how cool would it be if in your fantasy league, you could have a very own podcast that's custom to your league that is going through everything in your league as if it is the NFL. Well, the good news is you can have that now. FFBcast, who we've talked about before, who took this idea that I wish I had come up with, uh, is now just really doing a great job with it. They record custom podcasts for your fantasy league. They have an ongoing special for their draft recap episodes. One of their hosts will break down your league's draft, critique poor decisions, shower praise on those who earn it. And this year, they've added ADP check-ins with Denny Carter. Denny will give his two cents on where players are drafted relevant to their ADP. They also provide many options when it comes to covering your fantasy league. A lot of fun ways to keep your league engaged. They have quick clips episodes, which actually include video. Uh, They can live stream their recording on Twitch. Uh, all while displaying your league's webpage. They have weekly recap episodes as well that will start week one of the NFL season. And they also offer the opportunity for you to hire industry experts uh, that can make guest appearances on your league's podcast. Follow them on Twitter at FFBcast. Check them out on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Then head over to FFBcast.com today for your league's very own custom podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy 
Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Okay, Matt. I'm going to talk now about some of the players that I was surprised fared well for me, uh, fared well for me in my projections. Then you can let me know if you have similar thoughts on these players and if you find it surprising. So I ended up with Baker Mayfield and Jared Goff, both in my top five at quarterback. Both of those names were very surprising to me. And with Mayfield, a lot of that came down to touchdowns and some of the bump that I'm expecting via uh, Odell Beckham making his way into Cleveland. I seem to recall you being pretty high on Mayfield as well. Yeah, um, I. so it's interesting. I have both of them in the top 10. Uh, not as high on them as you are, but um, I think that's kind of more a function of just trying to be cautious in the fact that I'm not projecting either one really to have much rushing production. Um, yep. But I am, uh, you know, like willing to take those guys at what I think of as like discounted ADPs. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I would say for me, I think that I might be too high on the Rams offense with one of those reasons being I have all of their receivers having excellent seasons and they're all grouped together in a uh, pretty high range. Um, I think we might have talked about this before, but when you were working through your projections, did you have a very significant separation, be it in market shares for any of the receivers or or, or efficiency, you know, with especially with yeah. Cooper Cup making the return? Honestly, there's not that much of a difference in the projections uh, it, with all three of those guys. And I should say, actually, that um, between, for me, number five uh, at the quarterback position, Andrew yeah. Luck and Jared Goff, who's number nine, there's like a difference of 10 points. So like right. they're all like really tightly grouped together in a, a tier. Yeah, I have that as well. I mean, I actually have Deshaun Watson, who's my number two right in line with Goff and Mayfield, Cam and Andrew Luck, and then even uh, like Dak Prescott all sandwiched in there. So Prescott was another name I was surprised to see come up so high in my rankings, or I shouldn't say my rankings, in my projections when you sort them. But a reason for that is I'm expecting a significant number of rushing touchdowns from Prescott. I actually have him at five um, and a pretty decent season um, passing the ball. A lot of that has to do with Amari Cooper. So he's kind of offsetting the fact that he's at 25 touchdowns in my projection, which is lower than some of these other names with the with the rushing upside. You being a Cowboys fan, I guess, did you have trouble? Be, do you have trouble being objective for the Cowboys when you project them either way? And how are you feeling about Dak? Uh, I don't think I have trouble being objective about them. Um, at least I I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I do. I mean, I have him projected for... 5.9 rushing touchdowns, which yep. is pretty much right in line what with what he's done for his entire career. Uh, I am a little bit lower on the the passing touchdowns, however. Uh, I'm around 22 passing okay. touchdowns. So he is a little bit lower in my rankings. Uh, sorry, projections. Uh, I would have him ranked as the quarterback 13. But again, there's not much separating him from the guys who are above him. And I think he offers significant value at his ADP. Like he would be someone I'm looking to take as, you know, that Konami code type of quarterback and he's i believe finished in the top 12 each year of his career for fantasy like he's yep. someone you realistically could project to finish uh in the lower range of the top 12 which is basically right where i have him right and i think that that is something that a lot of players might not realize and this is a year where you probably can make the strongest case for him taking a step forward or at the very least remaining where he was uh, if we move over to running back, you know what? I, sorry, can oh, I yeah, can I throw ahead. something in here? 
Yeah. Okay. One thing that does give me a little bit of pause about Dak is like, we just don't know for sure what to expect out of the offense. Um, Is it going to be something really similar to what we've seen in the past three years um, with uh, the new offensive coordinator coming in uh, who has no experience at all? Uh, calling plays and Kellen Moore, we really don't know what to expect. And there's been a lot of hype about the type of scheme he's likely to run. But uh, I don't know, like I am a, a little bit pessimistic on the ability of someone who hasn't called plays before, who has Jason Garrett as his, uh, <laughs> his as his mentor oh, um, to come in and really rejuvenate the offense and make it something much better than what we've seen before. Yeah, I guess that's a perfectly fair point. Um, and that, that is something that fairly could be a cause for concern. Um, moving to running back, I actually have made some significant changes. Well, I mean, it's only moving Saquon Barkley down to running back three. But as I worked through my projections, what I kept coming back to was the number of questions that I can come up with about the Giants offense and concerns about how many plays they're going to be able to run even with Barkley controlling such a high percentage and me thinking that he is likely the best back in the league and just thinking that the talent is tremendous, I still had to move McCaffrey and Zeke ahead of him. Uh, and I actually have McCaffrey pretty significantly ahead of any other backs with Zeke coming in at two in my projections. And no matter how I kept moving things around for C-Mac, I ended up with him there. We talked about this a while back. Do you still have Barkley at number one or have you shifted things around? Yeah, I have Zeke at number one, but it's pretty much tied with Barkley. Uh, I have to say this is almost embarrassing, but um, I'm lower on McCaffrey than I thought I would be and like pretty significantly lower. Um, And I have to think about like, I I just I have to think more about this. But um, if Cam Newton sees some of the rushing load this year that mm-hmm. he's seen in the past, and maybe he won't uh, with the the shoulder injury, maybe he will be a little more cautious. But uh, I'm a little bit uh, just unsure of how many carries we can realistically project for uh, for Christian McCaffrey, um, like on top of what he saw last year. And then I don't know if we can also reasonably expect him to have um, the same receiving workload or more of a workload than he had last year. So I don't know, like what, what are your thoughts in terms of the number of carries he's going to get? I think that I might be lower on his carries than most. I'm probably too high on targets. So I have him with 256 rushing attempts, but I also have 121 targets, which is a pretty big chunk of that pie. Uh, I kept the rushing touchdowns at eight, Um, the receiving touchdowns at six. And, you know, the thing is, like, when I read that back actually on air and think about other people digesting that, I feel like that's so aggressive. But when I kept playing around with things, I ended up coming out in that similar type of range. So I would have to assume then that you probably have a much lower expectation for the passing volume. Yeah, I mean, it's not – I wouldn't say it's much lower. I have him around 112. Um, but for the rushing expectation, I have him around 205, um, mm, okay. which like that might feel low, but, um, I don't know. It was just kind of hard for me to, to get, to get him much higher unless like I just take basically everything from Cameron artist pain and yeah. give it to Christian McCaffrey, which like might be reasonable. Like that might be what happens, but it's like, am I really going to project Christian McCaffrey for like 240 carries and then Cameron Art is paying for like 12 and Jordan Scarlett for five, you know, like, I just don't know if I can do that. See, so I actually have, and so then some of this will come back to too with my expectation in the rushing game. I actually have um, 24% going between Scarlett and Payne. And then I do have Cam at 19. Let me make sure that adds up to a hundred. Uh, yeah. And then we'll actually have 1% going to DJ Moore and 1% going to Curtis Samuel for those of you that do math. And I should, I should actually say, I'm glad you kind of mentioned that because, uh, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, I think are going to get way more rushing production than people think. Yep. Yeah, that's perfectly fair. Um, all right. So to go down that line, because those are sometimes hidden 
points for receivers. When you say significant amounts, what are we talking? 20 carries a piece, 10 carries a piece. Yeah, I would say over 10. Like I think DJ Moore will get around like a carry a game. And I think Curtis Samuel will be maybe a little less than that, but right around that. Yeah. So did you give them rushing touchdowns? Um, portions of a rushing touchdown. Yeah. I have DJ Moore, I think, projected for 0.3 rushing touchdowns and a little more than that for Curtis Samuel. Yeah, that's that's, that's really close to what I had. Uh, and, and one interesting thing in that vein, too, that I feel like bringing up is receivers that do manage to consistently get rushing, product, uh, rushing production, it naturally is going to bring up their efficiency because what you see lots of times is when people talk about points per target numbers, they're not actually stripping out the rushing plays. So great example of this is sometimes people will talk about Tyree Kill and the ridiculous efficiency, but they're including the rushing production, which makes it look like, you know, it inflates that metric and makes it seem like it's less sustainable than it really is. Because if you're breaking it out and you're parsing out the rushing production, you'll see that, um, you know, that piece is more stable than you might think. And it just kind of clouds the perception. Again, a little bit of a tangent from what we were actually talking about, but I think it's interesting for those people that aren't, you know, digging into these numbers the way that we do. Yeah. So, I mean, the Christian McCaffrey thing, like I, I get it. I'm probably too low on him, but uh, I don't know. He might be the the player I thought about the most, actually, just in terms of his projection. And I want to be higher on him than I am. But I just haven't really figured out the way to do it yet. Yeah. I mean, that's fair, right? And I guess what that speaks to is when you have these players that are so strong and so good at the top, you know, lots of times you are just trying to find ways that you can separate them. And I guess in your case, you know, that is how you, you know, you can't be super high on, on every player. So um, Joe Mixon, I was kind of surprised when I was working through his projection on just how easy it is to project him with very, very high market shares in both um, rushing and receiving. Uh, you know, I kind of feel like it's very conceivable that he could finish top seven, even top six of running back rankings, given the volume. And I don't see many threats to him controlling a large portion of that Bengals offense, which could show up and be better this season than it was last. How are you feeling about Mixon? Yeah, I have him pretty easily in the top 12. Um, I'd say the lower end of the top 12, but yep. I could see how he ends up like in the top five. Um, a lot of it just depends on how efficient that offense is, and it's going to be really hard to uh, to know in advance what to expect from that offense because we don't know anything about Zach Taylor as a play caller. We don't know anything about Brian Callahan as an offensive coordinator. Like we're just we're in the dark. Yeah, that's very fair. Um, I have him projected with eight rushing touchdowns. Does that feel like a reasonable estimate for you? You think that's too high, too low? No, let me let me look really quick. I think that's right in line with I have like 7.3, 7.2. So like yep. I think we're in the same neighborhood. Yep. And then I think though my you know my my when I look at the rushing yards that I arrive at it feels way too high. So I but I mean, 4.4 yards an attempt, that is probably one of the higher yards per attempt that I actually gave. And on 266 attempts, puts him at 1,170 rush yards, which I think I might be a little rich on that. You have thoughts on that? I don't think that's a bad number. I have him at 1,126. And okay. it's, uh, you know, I'm projecting around 250 carries. You know, like, I mean, I think we're probably in the same neighborhood on that. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well. Uh, you know, if I'm in the in the ballpark with Friedman, I feel good. Um, Philip Lindsay, I was thought that I was more down on him than I feel like I am now after having gone through the projection process. So I feel like he's a player worth highlighting. So my projection for him actually places him with just 168 rushing attempts, 73 targets, fairly efficient though, coming out to 222 points, which puts him in the range of players such as Mar- um, Marlon Mack and Dalvin Cook. We've talked about him before. I know that you have some concerns about his body being able to hold up through the season, but I feel like when you look at the percentage of passing attempts that he could get, realistically being around 13% of my perspective, he only needs about 40% of rushing attempts, and albeit a somewhat efficient season to end up in that range. Do you disagree with that? 
Yeah, uh, I'm actually okay. much higher on him than I thought I would be. So I okay. said, I said, yeah, but I, I was sort of just that that was not uh, congruous with what you were saying. But yeah. okay, so uh, I'm high on him as you are. And you said how many fantasy points, PPR points? I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, PPR points. Um, what do I have? Two twenty two. I'm I'm right there. I'm projecting for two hundred and twenty eight. Okay, yeah. I'm I'm much higher on him than I thought I would be. Um, yeah. He's, He's around like running back 15 or 16 for me in terms of his projections. The thing is median projections. Uh, but right. I do, I don't know. I, in, in terms of rankings, I would be inclined to move him down a little bit just because I do think he has more downside than some of the other backs who are behind him. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And then the other thing too is when you can start, when you start to consider that, I still think Royce Freeman is a pretty good running back and it's possible that. He is, and that the team discovers that. And if that happens, then it's certainly possible that those numbers for Lindsay come down. Um, you know, I, I, you can't ignore things like that. So I agree with the idea, too, of despite where the projection lands in rankings, that might not be where you would have him. Yeah. Um, oh, did you have a thought on that? I should just say, um, I I know, like, I'm being pretty optimistic in terms of the efficiency for him. Um, but I think I'm being like, I say optimistic, but I think I'm still being fairly realistic on it just based on how explosive he was last year, how explosive he was in college and his, uh, physicality as, as a runner, uh, his like explosiveness. Uh, and then also like some of the, um, like next gen stats that you saw from the NFL, just in terms of his ability to, uh, to avoid contact. Like I just, I think he's a pretty explosive runner. Um, so even if you're not projecting him for all that many carries, I think there's still a lot of potential for him to, uh, to get over, you know, like 1200 scrimmage yards. Yeah. I completely, completely agree with that. Uh, so he was probably one of the most surprising players that I had. Another one that really stood out to me that I was surprised by was how strongly I came out on Vance McDonald, who I actually ended up projecting, with 149 PPR points, that's only giving him 13% of targets in that uh, Steelers passing game, giving him just four touchdowns, uh, but benefiting from 682 receiving yards and four touchdowns. And as far as my tight end projections go, that was pretty competitive. So he actually comes in at, um, let me just make sure that I get this right, tied for... So he actually comes in tied for seventh place, which I was surprised to find because he's one of those players that uh, when I build a narrative in my head, I never feel good about. I have him projected for just under 141, and that's tied in 12 for me. Yep. Um, But it's, I mean, there's not much of a difference between like the tied in 12 and the tied in nine or tied in eight in terms of my projections for fantasy points. Yeah. Um. Did you or do you think that with Brown gone, McDonald might be one of those players that the team starts to rely on more than they have in the past? Totally. Um, And I think it's not only that Antonio Brown is gone. I think also uh, that Jesse James James, is gone and uh, Xavier Grimble isn't really the type of like tight end threat to uh, take a lot of the market share that we should project for Vance McDonald. So, uh, and then also there's just not a number two on that team that has an established relationship with Roethlisberger, Um, like James Washington, Dante Moncrief, Deontay Johnson, like all of those guys. uh, I mean, they're pretty unproven. Uh, And then especially when it comes to uh, some sort of relationship with Ben Roethlisberger. So Vance McDonald has like to this point been more impressive than those guys. Yeah, a lot of what you said there is why I ended up with him where I did and and things that are hard to ignore. And, um, you know, if I end up with him as a tight end on my teams, I think I'll be feeling pretty good about that. Do want to get to some more players, but um, we spent a, a fair amount of time on things. So before it's too late, we should mention that you definitely want to head over to the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. It may be the offseason season. We're getting close to the season, which is exciting, but 
with that in mind, you need to start getting into those best ball leagues at the FFPC now. Get used to that ADP, to the flow of drafts this season. Things are going differently in the drafts that I've been in this year than they did last year. So make sure that you're practicing. Get in with a $35 entry fee. Start playing best ball. And if you're a fan of the Dynasty format, over the last few years, the FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious Dynasty players. They have almost 300 active Dynasty leagues. For $77, you can get your feet wet in Dynasty. Leagues are still forming. They have not had a league fold in nine years. So get in on that action now. I really do like the app and the uh, interface. It's it's definitely um, much easier for me to use and navigate, and I like it a lot more than many other sites that I've played on. So head over to the FFPC. Uh, Rotoviz listeners, go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Okay, Matt. Antonio Brown, though I have concerns, largely stemming from things that you and I have talked about and things that you have pointed out in the past, I still end up with a strong projection for Antonio Brown, one that places him as a top 10 wide receiver. A lot of that is just based upon the sheer volume that I'm expecting. 29, 28% of attempts, even if they're coming from Derek Carr, is enough in my projections to get him into that top 10 kind of range. We know that you're down on Brown compared to a lot of other analysts in the industry. How did that impact your projection? Um... It, I think it, if anything, it impacted it like in a uh, positive way where I think maybe <laughs> I was trying to be um, super like conservative to a fault in terms of like giving him the benefit of the doubt. Mm. But so I'll just say like I have him and this almost like hurts my stomach and it is almost the pure result of volume. Uh, I have him as my number five, like projected wide receiver for fantasy points with PPR. There's not much of a difference between him at five and Julio at six and Michael Thomas at seven for me. Yeah. Like they're all pretty bunched up. But uh, yeah, like I'm projecting uh, Antonio for just about 30% of the market share. Um, yeah, like I think he's going to be fed pretty heavily. Um, I think he's going to be running some shorter routes in comparison to what he's had in the past, um, which I think will make it easier for those to become receptions. Right. Um, I'm trying to be, I don't know. It's hard to know exactly what we should expect in terms of touchdowns. Like, obviously, there will be regression from what happened last year. Uh, and the Raiders offense just isn't going to score as many touchdowns. But I think they're still going to make a point of trying to give him the ball as often as possible. So I still have him projected for like just under nine touchdowns um, and around 1,250 receiving yards, which, you know, like that's a really good season. But like, I think uh, so like. Even though like last year I was like Antonio Brown is falling off a cliff and like I I still <laughs> I still kind of think that like in Dynasty like I would not want to be anywhere near him and I think there's the massive possibility for things to go horribly wrong with this team. Like if uh if things don't go well at the beginning, like who knows what will happen with Antonio Brown from like a locker room perspective from an on-field perspective of like him starting to freelance more or like getting into arguments with Derek Carr, you know, like, like there is a massive blow up potential here, which is why I think like my, my median projection um, might be a slightly unrepresentative of like the, the downside risk I think is, uh, is held in Antonio Brown. It's certainly challenging because the things that are valid, causes for concern with Brown are very hard to quantify. And it's also hard to determine with a player like Brown, who I do believe is extremely talented, but may have benefited. You have to imagine on some levels benefited from playing with a player like Ben Roethlisberger. It does leave some significant questions open. And then there is 
the concern of with a player with the psyche like Brown, if Carr can't get him the ball the way that he's expecting it or the way that he's accustomed to, that could also cause a lot of tension there. Uh, my I mean, projections are... Oh, go sorry, ahead. One, one way to think of this. Um, Antonio Brown, even though I haven't projected at this point for slightly more fantasy points than Julio Jones and Michael Thomas, like they are clearly the safer plays, right? Just oh, in yeah, terms... Absolutely. Because like we... Like we don't really have questions about like their volatility in the locker room or anything like that. And we know what to expect out of their connections with Matt Ryan and Drew Brees. Like there's just so much more certainty when it comes to their projection, like on the and, low yeah. end. And um, those they're also on teams that are going to be competitive, which I yeah. think stands for something and, and just better offenses as a whole, too. So that that right there inherently takes away. Or it gives Brown more risk than they, than they have. Yep. Um, another player, uh, just to kind of close out those that I was really surprised about, Antonio Brown's teammate, Tyrell Williams, I had to keep wavering on, as I said earlier. When I first did my projections for him, just given the expectations that I had in terms of how they would break down the receiving targets, I actually ended up with him in the mid-30s. But I think some of that was a function of still considering Tyrell Williams as playing with Philip Rivers, not Derek Carr. He ended up dropping to the mid-40s for me. Um, and I settled in on still giving him 16% of receiving attempts, 717 yards, four touchdowns, which comes out to 150 fantasy points. Um, but now I'm not sure what to do with Williams. It makes me feel like maybe there's a little bit more hope than it feels like there should be. Thoughts on Williams? Yeah, I have him projected for uh, less production overall. Yeah, um, a little bit under 130 fantasy points. Okay, um, which like I don't know, that's not that huge of a difference, but like in term because there are just a whole bunch of players who are all in that general point range. So like right. that would be enough to drop him from like wide receiver 40 to like wide receiver 60 or something like that. Um, yep. but, uh, yeah, I'm not too optimistic on him. I'm projecting him for maybe like 13% of the, the targets. Okay. Um, so my, my final question would be, cause I, I think I agree. I think that I still end up with him too high. Is he the type of player that is going to even have a pocket of fantasy relevance this season? Or are we best to just move on and try to find a guy that probably has more upside in that range of the draft where you would be selecting Williams? Yeah, I won't be looking at him. Like, I think he will have a, a pocket of relevance in that um, he's an explosive player. So I could see him having some kind of like GPP winning upside. Um, but I think he will be very inconsistent. So knowing when to start him for season long, I think will be a challenge. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, all right, let's turn to some of the guys that did not do that well for me. Um I have Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers finishing in the same range as Mitchell Trubisky, Jameis Winston, Carson Wentz. We've talked about the coaching change there. There's I saw him in some Scott Fishbowl drafts going very early. Looks like some people are expecting a bounce back from Rodgers. Given you that you've gone through and done the projections, your expectations of the Packers offense. Does it still make to go after Rodgers before some of these other players like a Drabisky, like a Winston or a Wentz? I mean, uh, I want, I'm not going to be drafting a quarterback that early anyway, yep. but I do have Rodgers projected pretty significantly above those guys. Um, it wouldn't be a surprise if one of them ended up out, outproducing him, uh, especially because Rodgers really hasn't, you know, like quote unquote, been himself for the last few years. Yep. Um, but yeah, I still have him projected as my number three quarterback. Um, I should say like at the fantasy, uh, the fantasy labs projections or uh, action network projections, uh, Sean corner is more in line with me. Uh, but Chris Raybon is a little more in line with you. He, uh, he has Rogers ranked a little bit lower down. Yeah, so just to give some context as to how he ended up there for me, while I do have them passing pretty aggressively, I end up with just around 4,000 yards, 29 touchdowns, not a whole lot of rushing production as you would expect from a guy like Rodgers, which puts him a little bit under 300 fantasy points for me. Um, so actually, it ends up with him having a season that is not quite as strong as last season. So I can certainly see how there'd be some pushback on that. 
regardless of exactly where I landed, though, the takeaway for me was that at least in my own mind, Rodgers isn't this slam dunk type of quarterback that should be reached on. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the one thing I would say is I I don't have too much of a quibble with the yardage. Um, I could see it finishing around there, but I would expect uh, significantly more touchdowns from him. That's just kind of been his MO. More than um, 29, significantly yeah. more than 29. Yeah. So he had 25 last season. We'll throw away 2017. Then he did have 40 in 2016, but 2015 was only 31, 38 the season before in 2014. So yeah, there's definitely been some volatility there, um, which makes it hard. It makes it very hard to, it, with all of the questions too and the change in, in the staff there. So um, let's move on from Rogers. Um, Dalvin Cook, I know some people are really high on him based purely on the projection comes in at running back 18, which I was surprised to find. Um, even in my projection, not giving Alexander Madison too much of a uh, workload there for you is Dalvin Cook an RB one. Is that what you're expecting? Or are you more in line with where my projection puts him? No, I, I mean, I've been like the known Dalvin cook hater in the okay. industry. Like is it's just, uh, I think he carries so much risk because of his knee injuries. Um, and then also just because of the fact that they have, uh, they being the Vikings have seemed to be pretty insistent on wanting something of a split backfield. Um, so I don't know, like maybe in that, you know, kind of shadow Gary Kubiak offense, like he's not the offensive coordinator, but he's the advisor or like running game coordinator or something. Um, it seems like he might be the guy who's kind of shaping what that offense looks like a little bit more versus Kevin Stefanski, but maybe in that offense, uh, Dalvin cook explodes, but I don't know. It's just, it's hard for me to trust him. So like for me, he's around like running back 20. Yeah, I think I have him at 18. So we're in the same range. And, you know, some of that comes down to even when I give him a very efficient yard per attempt of 4.6 and try to move him up to close to that 60% range, he still finishes in there. And I really don't think you could expect Cook to be the type of player that's going to get north of like 65% of rushing attempts, which with the way I have things broken out, which I feel is still fairly objective and conservative, wouldn't push him up into that upper echelon RB1 type of range. Um, So I think that we're kind of in the same place there. But I can see how he's one of those players that still can get hype based largely off of those first four games that he played. It's interesting how sometimes that bias can carry through for a number of seasons, despite even the injuries. Yep. Um, All right. Kalen Balaj, I have at less than 100 points. We know that you like Kenan Drake, but do you think I need to be more optimistic for Balaj or you? I mean, some of that for me is just a function of not expecting too much out of that Dolphins offense. Yeah, I'm trying to find where Kalen Balaj is in my rankings, and maybe I'm just overlooking him, but like, I'm not. I'm not that optimistic on on what he's going to do. Um, let me scroll over to the Miami page, but yep. um, yeah, I mean, as you said, I'm pretty bullish on on Kenyon Drake, which just sort of necessitates that I'm not all that interested in Balage. So I have him projected for uh, around 725 scrimmage yards and a little under four touchdowns from scrimmage. Yeah, so you're actually a little bit more friendly to him in the yardage department where like spot on on the rushing touchdowns. And, and I think that if we were to see Belage able to become more of a fantasy option this season, some of that would have to come via gaining a larger role in Miami's passing game, which I just, you know, maybe there's a little bit of an opportunity, but I don't think that it's very large. Uh, Ronald Jones, another player that some people, well, I think that there has been more enthusiasm for Ronald Jones overall. There's a number of guys at the site that really like Ronald Jones. I have always been on the other side of the fence. I know that you have. As you were working through Tampa Bay, did you see any windows where you could make Jones a significant uh, fantasy flex even type of player in 2019? Yeah, so just to, sorry, to put a bow on Kalen Balazs, I have him, yep. I saw, projected for 125 fantasy points, which, you know, that's around like running back for me, like running back 41, which 
I don't know, whatever. Like, I'm not that excited by him. Um, but I guess evidently I'm more excited about him than you are. And I think part of it yeah. is because I am expecting him to do a little bit more in the passing game. But uh, moving over to Ronald Jones, I have him projected for around 115 PPR points, which makes him like running back 50. So, mm-hmm. you know, like he's someone you have to have on your team and it's conceivable that he becomes the lead back. Um, but right now I actually still have Peyton Barber projected as the lead back on that team, but, um, it's pretty even in terms of their split, uh, both in terms of, I think their usage and their production overall. So maybe one of them becomes the guy and then he will be interesting. But right now, like we have no idea. Right. And then Peyton Barber last season struggled to really get anything going despite a pretty significant opportunity. The the real question that I have with Ronald Jones, which still holds, is can he become more of a significant player in the passing game? And I don't know if we truly have enough of a body of work to rule out that he can or that he can't. Um, so I think that despite my pessimistic projection, he is one of those players that I will have to try to pick up in spots here and there because there's certainly that opportunity. And there is reason to think that he could have more talent than we've given him credit for. Uh, A couple of names before we go out, uh, before we close off here that I want to ask you about. Allen Robinson and Alshon Jeffrey, I feel like I may have landed too high on. Um, in the interest of time, without digging in too heavily to the actual numbers, how are you feeling about them? Are they wide receiver twos, wide receiver threes? Uh, I'm not that optimistic on them. Uh, for me, they're around wide receiver three. Okay, fair enough. One more receiver to ask you about, and I also did want to mention to you, I ended up with, with Juju Smith-Schuster as my number one wide receiver, <laughs> uh, yes. which will probably make you happy. Kenny Galladay? How are you feeling about him? I um actually let me rephrase that because I gotta find him. I forget where he is. Kenny Galladay, uh, you feeling good about him in 2019? Um, my projection would indicate otherwise. Um, I have him around like uh, I have him as a low end wide receiver two, or maybe even high end wide receiver three. Um, and a lot of that is just uh, a function of what we might expect out of that that passing offense. But um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of room for upside with him. It's like so much more room for upside. Uh, and at that point in the draft, I'm much more interested in upside than median projection. So I'm, I'm still going to be taking shots on him. Yeah. And I have a lot of questions about Marvin Jones. So I think that we could run into a situation where they just have to rely on Kenny Holiday a lot, which speaks to the upside that you mentioned for him. I think that my projection is, is I'm it's scarily high on him as it does place him as a very low, right on the fringe of that wide receiver, one wide receiver, two conversation. Um, but perhaps that's another guy that we can talk about before. I do want to get uh, in future episodes, your opinions on Allen Robinson, Alshon Jeffrey and Dante Pettis, but I think we'll close things down for tonight. You are not going to be here next week and the week after that. I believe that is accurate. Yeah. And, uh, I think even the week after that, like, oh my I'm, gosh. So basically I'm gone. I'm gone for a while. Yeah. You're gone for a while. You will be back though for the ever anticipated return of fantasy mansion though. That's correct. Right. Unfortunately, I will be here for that episode. Oh yeah. All right. So I think the, the good people out there are looking forward to that. Uh, reminder, you can get a 10% only listener discount to an NFL subscription through the podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Patreon is up and running. You want to support the shows and get into conversations directly with a number of the uh, writers and Rotoviz radio hosts. You can do that by signing up to our Patreon channel. Um, Patreon, and then just go to Patreon, search Rotoviz radio, and you can sign up for that. And that's going to do it for today's show. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTOracle. Be sure to check out Rotoviz. You can email us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. This 
This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.